we were going last weekend, we had the uh, opportunity, privilege of being uh, at Philip's, Philip and Kirsten's wedding. So I can verify that Philip is a married man. Um, we were there. But uh, we had a, a beautiful trip out there and back. And um, I think Daniel talked about his trip and all the beautiful things that uh, they saw. And um, I could just say that, yeah, there's a lot of beauty out there. Um, and I especially thought about it as we were flying back, uh, our flight from Seattle to Atlanta. Uh, we left out there at 10.30 at night and had about a four-and-a-half-hour flight. <clears throat> so it's kind of interesting as you have a window seat and it's a clear night and you're at about almost 40,000 feet. And you see all the cities lit up spread along the way. And as I, as I just reflected on that and I thought about the souls, the people, the masses of people, that, and that was just this one little part of this world. And as, you, as I look down on that and you wonder, what, fights, riots, protests, What all, you know, what all is going on? What are people feeling? What are people experiencing? It looks so peaceful looking at it from 40,000 feet, but when you get right down to it, drug deals, all kinds of stuff going on. At the same time, there's God's people sprinkled throughout, praying, bringing his presence. So then the question comes to mind, who am I? Who are you? What are we bringing to the world around us? So this morning what I want to talk about for just a little bit is, I'm going to title it, A Measured Response. In our lives we are faced with a lot of action and a lot of reaction. Just constantly. Things happen. People do things. People say things. And we react. I think the first thing I said here this morning was good morning. You all react. Every one of you that heard that reacted. Some of you returned good morning. Some of you just thought about it. Some of you decided, ah, I won't say anything. Some of you probably thought, man, he's weird. Um, you know, we respond. Every situation that we face, we respond somehow. Even if we think we don't. We choose to not respond which is a response. <clears throat> so, action versus reaction. What does that look like in our lives? 
Now, whether it's the believer versus the unbeliever, whether it's all the crazy stuff that's going on in our very divided political world, whether it's the issue of racism in America, no, it, it doesn't matter. It does matter, but I'm saying in, in light of what I'm saying here, it doesn't matter what our thought is, what we think about it. We're responding to these things one way or another. Does it cause us to pray? Does it cause us to project Christ? So it's in the world around us. It's at work with our co-workers. It's within the church, inter-congregational relationships as we relate together amongst ourselves. There's actions and reactions. There's things people say. Some are thoughtful. Some are thoughtless. Some are encouraging. Some are discouraging. I just want to say I feel blessed, I think, to be with a group of people that... uh, I appreciate the amount of effort, the amount of love that flows among us and the kindness that's expressed in so many ways. And the, um, I mean, sometimes I see, frankly, I see churches and people in places where people are just rude and ruthless and reckless. And I'm thankful that I can say I, I appreciate that. So many of us, so many of you all are, are careful, are gracious with each other. <clears throat> so it's within the world around us, it's at work, it's within the church, it's within our families, right? Maybe you don't do this, maybe your children don't do things that provoke you. You know, maybe, you know, maybe you husbands don't say things that hurt your wife or be thoughtless or reckless. But things happen. Life is real. So what's our response? So it's in parent-children relationships. It's in husband-wife relationships. It's all around us. How are we reacting to the things that happen around us? <clears throat> you know, I have to th- in, in the idea of um, an action that causes a reaction. I thought of, I don't know how many of you happened to watch the space launch of the SpaceX rocket with the, I think it's called Dragon um, space vehicle, capsule, whatever they call it. Um, You know, that sat on the launch pad. 
just sat there. And when they started those engines and poured in that fuel, there's a reaction that began to happen. And that reaction projected that vehicle into outer space. But that wasn't the first day they thought about that. That was a measured, calculated reaction. It was intentional. And I don't know about you, but there's things that happen that come, come up in my life that if I'm not careful, I don't take that measured, calculated approach. I don't give time to consider, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? How do you want me to relate to this? How can I project Christ in this situation? So then comes the question, what shapes the way we react in life? Not all reaction is wrong, obviously. So what shapes, anybody want to throw any thoughts out there? What what shapes our reactions? What are things that, that play into that? Life experiences, right? What we're relying upon. Yeah. Whether you're hangry or not. Yes. That may even be true in a spiritual sense, Luke. Um, yeah, I believe it is. I believe it's um, our life experiences. Our culture. Um, things we've observed in other people. I think um, even birth order affects how we tend to relate to things. It's not necessarily good or bad. But I know that as the youngest in my family, I had the opportunity to to watch some of my older siblings make some pretty grave mistakes. And that affected how I related to life. There's trauma. There's very traumatic, painful things that we go through that affects how we react especially when, 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 when we allow kind of a, a more natural fleshly reaction that, that is very, um, the, the things that are, have been traumatic in our life, painful things, hurtful things, people have said, thoughtless things people have done, or maybe there's been outright abuse. Those experiences shape how we naturally react. But the the beautiful thing is Jesus is an amazing redeemer. He loves to take those things and bring healing into them. And as we allow 
healing, his healing to come into our lives as we simply recognize those things. Uh, he brings healing into our lives in which that allows um, us much more to not respond with our natural responses, but to it gives more space and more room for him to respond with his response in our life. Does that make sense? And I want to say about that, um, sometimes people use difficult, hard things, abuses of the past, traumatic things, and that becomes their excuse card. So anytime anything happens and they react, they, they react wrong, it's just like, well, you know, that's how I am because that's, this is what happened to me. So anytime God reveals things to us that have happened to us that affect us in a negative way and we become aware of it, that's not meant to be an excuse card. That's meant to be an opportunity at identifying the issue so that we can bring it to him for healing. Right? As we allow him and we bring these things to him and allow him to heal us, that's why God shows us things, not so that we just know why we act that way. Some of the other things that affect how we react is what we believe. As we read the word of God, as we understand what um, God expects from us, through his word and through his spirit that is meant to shape our actions and our reactions. That's why we nourish our spirit. So do we do that? Do we allow him um, to shape the way I believe, the way I think, the way I respond? I think it's important for us to have measured, calculated responses to things. I've, sometimes I hear people say, oh, what would you do if somebody would come break into your house? Or what would you do if you're driving down the road and you'd see a vehicle cross over the line? And they're just very insistent, saying, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I won't know until that happens. Well, that's true. You won't know what, ha- what, what will happen until that happens. On the other hand, Maybe I'm, I'm strange, but I think it's healthy to sometimes think about what would I do? And the chances of me doing, making a right decision at that spur of the moment flash moment that I'm faced with that, if I've thought about it and considered what is the right thing to do, if I have thought about that and calculated that and I believe it's God's way, when I'm faced with that at that moment, I'm much more likely to make the right choice than if I just take the approach, well, I don't know. I won't know until I do it. Isn't that a bit reckless? So I think it's important to know what we believe, why we believe it, and I think it's important where we get that from. Sometimes the way we react is just simply our selfish, sinful self. 
We just want what we want. We want food. Um, So it's important, again, that we consider how does Jesus want us to react to the things going on around us. In Galatians, it, it tells us the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Wow, we don't see any of that around us right now, do we? Envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But as we allow the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to express itself to the situations we face from our lives will be the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Sometimes we forget that self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So let's walk with Him. Let's expect Him to flow through our lives, to flow out of our lives, to not only be a resident, a part in our lives, but that Holy Spirit within us that it will flow out through uh, from my spirit into my soul, into my mind, my will, my emotions, the way I feel. It will affect the way I feel and then flow out through my, my hands and my feet and my mouth and affect the people around me. <clears throat> I want to look this morning just briefly at... Um, The story of David's reaction to Nabal in 1 Samuel 25, verses 1 through 42. I'm going to read down through this, and I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation, just because um, in this particular situation, kind of as a story, it's a little easier to understand. So... um, Yeah, I'll just read from verses 1 through 42 and maybe comment a little bit. So this happened uh, during the time that um, David was running for his life in the hills and mountains, um, trying to escape Saul. Saul was, as we all know the story, Saul was jealous um, about the way that the people felt about David that they they felt like they liked David more than him and he was out to destroy him uh, to try to kill him and as we remember David had um, several times had the opportunity to kill Saul um, but he chose not to he said 
who am I to take to touch God's anointed? You know, once was in the cave um, when when Saul went in there, and David was in there, and Saul had no idea. He went in there to use the bathroom. Um, and another time he was sleeping and, and David came up uh, right beside him during his sleep. And he used that as an opportunity to show, hey, I could have harmed you, but I chose not to. And uh, so we see that David had some very uh, thought out, calculated, God-led um, moments, I believe, as he was trying to flee for his life. But in this situation, let's just look at what happened here. This is after, right after Samuel had died and Israel had gathered for his funeral and they buried him. And then in verse 2, or you know, it goes on down there, it says, And David moved down to the wilderness of Maon. There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. So in other words, I think in those days, in that situation, he was a very wealthy man. And this man's name was Nabal, and his wife Abigail was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dealings. So even though he was a descendant of Caleb, he didn't turn out so well. So in the next portion here, we see David's action. We see what David did. It says, When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent ten of his young men to Carmel, and with this message for Nabal, Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I'm told that it's sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men, and they will tell you that this is true. So apparently, Nabal's shepherds, men that worked for Nabal uh, as shepherds, were out there in the country, in the mountains, and David and his men um, looked out for them and kind of protected them and kept them from beasts and people and from things being stolen. So ask your men, and they will tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions that you might have on hand with us and your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. So now here is Nabal's reaction. That was David's action. Here's Nabal's reaction. Nabal says, Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to the band of outlaws who come from who knows where? You know. Why should I do that? Why should I take my stuff and and just give it to this man, David? So now David had acted 
Nabal had reacted, now David gets to react, right? So David's young men returned and told him that what Nabal had said. And here's what David said, different than what he had ever done before. He said, get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David, and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. What a rash move. Just because that angered him, that they had been kind to Nabal's men. And here they ask for a little favor, and look at this. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and we have never suffered any harm for them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do. For there, is, for there is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He was so ill-tempered. He is so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. So now here is Abigail's reaction. So as we see on down just a little bit, um, Abigail approached David. And even while she approached David, David was still fuming. And in the middle of his response, he says, says David had just been saying, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me, even if one man of his household is still alive till tomorrow morning. Excuse me. That was a pretty drastic, drastic measure. Abigail approached him, says Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, Go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband, Nabal, what she was doing. As she was riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming towards her. And then in verse 23, it says, When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. It's an interesting thing for a wife to say about her husband. He is a fool, just as his name suggests, but I... Never even saw the young men you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance 
into your own hands. Let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me. Thank you, Brandon. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting for the Lord, for you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you, you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. <clears throat> Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all that he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this blemish, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Here she was appealing to him to consider what this is also going to do for his reputation. Then your conscience won't have to be to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. So now David had another opportunity to react. So David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. Here David recognized that the foolish thing that he was going to do in his anger, his wrath, just and here her coming and interceding in the way that she did, God used that. David recognized that God used that to stop him from his foolish anger. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept you kept me from hurting you that if you had not hurried out to meet me not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning then David accepted her present and told her return home in peace i have heard what you said we will not kill your husband when abigail arrived home she found that nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king He was very drunk, so she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until the dawn of the next day in the morning when Nabal was sober. His wife told him what had happened. As a result, he had a stroke. He lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck him and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise the Lord. Who has avenged the insult I received from Nabal and has kept me from doing it myself? Nabal has received punishment for his sin. Then David sent messengers to Abigail and asked her to become his wife. Someone else's comment about that was, Wow, he was a pretty fast mover which I guess is true. 
When the messengers arrived at Carmel, they told Abigail, David has sent us to take you back to marry him. She bowed low to the ground and responded, I, your servant, would be happy to marry David. I would even be willing to become a slave, washing the feet of his servants. Quickly getting ready, she took five of her servant girls as attendants, mounted her donkey, and went with David's messengers, and so she became his wife. So as we, as we reflect on that story and the different responses that happened there, the different ways that different people related, can we ask ourselves some questions? What kind of reactor am I? What motivates my reactions? What drives me? Is it me, myself, and I? And what I want? And what's good for me? Are we a Nabal? Or are we a David that gets it right at least some of the time? Or are we an Abigail? So am I a situation escalator? Am I a situation de-escalator? Or am I an intercessor like Abigail was? And if you look at that, that was, a, that was a beautiful intercessory act. may have been motivated by self-preservation, but um, it, was, it was a beautiful intercessory act. So let's ask ourselves. Ask yourself. Maybe even ask the people around you if you dare. If you have the courage to. Ask people around you. What does it feel like to be on the other end of me? What do people experience walking with you through life? With me through life? What do the people experience when I pass through their life? Do they encounter Jesus? Or some mean, selfish person like Nabal? Or like David? And it was his anger, right? Just that, what the world? How dare he? We were there for his men. We spared them. We protected them. How dare he relate that to me that way to me? You ever have those feelings boil up in you? They very seldom produce anything good. Right? We may be like David that gets it right most of the time. 
do we kind of comfort ourselves with that? that hey, we did, we did okay the other day. Yeah, we got it wrong yesterday, but the day before that we got it right. The fact is, left to our own selfish selves, we won't get it right. But as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, as we exercise walking in Him, He gets it right in us. Someone said about this story that this story isn't so much about Nabal as it is about how God saved David from his stupidity. By allowing anger like that to control him. I thought of um, just a simple scripture I think we all know. Proverbs 15.1 The soft answer turns away wrath, but, a harsh, but harsh words stir up anger. <clears throat> a quote that I came across that says, Anger is like an acid. It damages the container that holds it more than where it's poured out on. So again, I just want to say, as I share this, I'm not sharing this because I don't feel like we are surrounded by many of you that are very gracious, but I think we can continue to encourage ourselves, especially in the day when we see so much darkness so much fighting, so much um, devouring each other amongst us, uh, around us. How are we relating? What are we projecting? Are we just walking around cursing the darkness, talking about how terrible it is out there, or are we lighting a candle? Are we speaking love? Are we projecting love? I'll end this just with the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, where he says, You have heard it has been said, an eye for an eye. This kind of relates to action and reaction. You have heard it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, Let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it has been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons, be sons of your father who is in heaven. Here's some of Jesus' advice on how to react.